Welcome, dear listener, to Volume 2, Episode 9 of Weekend at Crombies. And for this podcast extravaganza, we'll be discussing the film Set It Off. Welcome, dear listener, to episode 9 of Weekend at Crombie's. My name is Hugh, and I ain't Robin no stagecoach. <laughs> My name is James Evans Esquire, and please do not be misled that these two podcasters are females. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. I can't, quite believe, I can't believe you worked that out in advance. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's clear for all to to hear that that was off the cuff. (laughs) Far, far, far off the cuff. I'm no no Mike McShane, am I? (laughs) Tony Slattery has got nothing to worry about. (laughs) I have a number of anecdotes about Tony Slattery, but now is not the time. But Tony Slattery is not in Set It Off. And Set It Off is the movie we will be reviewing this evening or this morning. F. Gary Gray's Set It Off. F. Gary Gray's Set It Off. Set it off! Set it, and that will be the first and last time we devolve into northern accents for Set It Off, which is not a northern film. No, it's not set in um, Derbyshire. It's which not is set in the Midlands. It's not about a cricket team. It's Derbyshire's the Midlands. Naked they, they, miners. They, they would run you out of Derbyshire if you called it the North. <laughs> well, that's true, yeah, that's true. And if it, if it was set in the North, it would surely be called Set Tit Tit Off. Set Tits Off. Set Tit Anyway. Set Off. Goodbye. <laughs> tough. Tough. Shit, shit, tough. It would be a quick you know film. Time for? Hang on, if we're going to, you know what it's time for, don't you? This time. Bit of Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you don't start with the big heist scene. Oh. As, as, as oh, if, if set tough has taught us nout, it's taught us <laughs> that you have the big fight scene at t- end, not at t- t- start. <laughs> Shall we begin? Yes. On, on, on what begins is quite a tragic thing, so let's let's put on serious faces now. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. So, it is um, it's in the it's nineteen ninety six. The movie came out, um, and it's sort of contemporaneous to that. And we begin with uh, Vivica A. Fox as uh, Frankie, who's a young lady. Be still, my beating heart. Indeed. Vivica A. Fox. Vivica A. Fox, uh, still flushed with success from uh, Independence Day, so we can come back to that in a yeah. minute. Um, and the uh, the dog that survived the explosion. Um, <laughs> always a good move when the dog lives. So Vivica A. Fox is a bank teller, um, happily working away in a nice big bank, uh, when all of a sudden the bank is robbed by um, various violent hoodlums who... Um, Guns are erupting everywhere. Um, she's covered in blood of an innocent bystander, um, and general carnage. He was, he was shot in the head. Yes, yes, that's where the blood Ruthlessly. came from. <laughs> yes. Um, the 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 slight uh, caveat is she knew the name of one of the robbers because they came from the same neighbourhood. But that was Darnell. Was Darnell, who doesn't live very long, so we don't need to remember that name. Um, but um, the next scene. Um, Poor, poor Frankie is being given a, a, you might call it a debriefing, but it's a very ruthless one by um, by two very, very aggressive policemen. Um, the lead one is Detective Strode, played by John C. McGinley, who I would say is at his most John C. McGinley in this film. Yeah, um, he is, isn't he? Yeah. We can come he's back a, to him in the, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's the Scrubs version John C. McGinley, isn't he? 
Oh, he's he's pre-scrubs, but yeah, he's, he's. I know, but yeah, it's that. It's that. It's basically the same character without possibly the emotional warmth that the scrubs character ended up in. <laughs> but um, so John C. McGinley is is basically yelling at her. Why didn't you, you know, set off the silent alarm? Don't you know the routine? And she's literally standing there covered in blood. <laughs> and, and it's after, so absurd. Yeah, and and after they've had this 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 little debriefing, um, the uh, manager of the bank who clearly missed that day in HR decides mm. now's a good time to fire Frankie. <laughs> Yeah, look, she's literally covered in blood. And having seen someone die in front of her and then be in the middle of a shootout. Um, and he goes, she's been fired. Yeah, we're going to have to let you go. <laughs> what do you say? Like, frankly, you, the, your association with people like this doesn't look good for the bank. Yeah. yeah and they yeah. fire her. The, the implication is, you know, if she knew him, clearly she has to, you know, she's in on it too. Um, yeah. And so she gets she fired. Might, she rightly goes bonkers. She she does go absolutely bonkers, um, and and pretty much remains bonkers through the whole film. She does not stop being angry. At this. <laughs> she it doesn't is, recover from that, does no. she? And, and, when you, and firstly, it was quite an injustice what happens to her. She was you know, she was just working her job, gets traumatized horribly, and then gets fired because of it. However, mm. given that everything else that happens in the film, she got away quite lightly. <laughs> yes, yeah, she has. But we'll come I to actually that. think that the film is not about what it's about. Yeah. It's about her mental breakdown. <laughs> I'm sure of it. Well, it's just projections of Frankie. Well, we'll, yeah. we'll come to again. But anyway, so um, Frankie is... Um, we then kind of cut to uh, Frankie's circle of friends, because Frankie is one of four very close friends um, who we get introduced to as they, as they move on in the plot. Uh, one is uh, Jada Pinkett as Stoney. Uh, well, next is uh, Kimberly Elisa as Tashan Williams. And then um, stealing the show, I think probably her debut was Queen Latifah as Cleo. Queen Latifah, yeah, um, who up until that point was best known as a, a rap artist, effectively. Yeah, and, uh, and it needs hardly be said, Queen Latifah is playing the larger-than-life character of the French. She's the, the biggest, the yeah. brashest, the steam-sealing one. She's the loose cannon. She is loose cannon, in every sense of the word, um, because as they kind of sit around moaning, they're all, they're all, they're all um, cleaners as well, that's how they kind of uh, discuss things as well, but they um, get discussing how unjust life is and how broke they are and how uh, all this is awful, and then Frankie ends up cleaning with them because she needs a job too. Yeah. Um, and they kind of, you know, talking loosely have, you know, if we want money, we've got to rob a bank. Um, money... It comes up quite quickly as well, doesn't it? <laughs> Frank has been out of work for a couple of weeks. Um, the others all, you get a kind of, as the film goes on, you get kind of little snippets and vignettes of specific things that happen yeah. that um, suggest that. It puts the idea of robbing a bank in their mind. As well. yeah. So it's not just like an immediate, yeah. kind of, oh, right, let's rob a bank. They, they all yeah. have these kind of rather, um, you know, they have set pieces themselves and, and they come to the conclusion that robbing a bank, yeah, actually, that probably is the best idea. Yeah, the, the film is, is, is quick to turn the screws on all of them, actually, because uh, Sishan, um, who is the, 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 the kind of the meekest of the group, she's, she's quite reserved, quite shy. Um, she has a young child that she's got to look after, so that's simply, and obviously she's also trying to pay a babysitter and work at the same time, so that's just a general pressure on her. Um, funds. Uh, Stoney has um, a brother that she is, um, who's now just graduated high school. She's been raising him since their parents were killed in a car accident. Um, so her plan is for him to go to you know or go to college, and obviously that needs tuition fees because he can get a scholarship. Um, From what I, think... I can understand, though, Queen Latifah's character, yeah. uh, Cleo, just wants a lowrider. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, she's just yeah, she, the comment is she just wants money. Although they do comment that she lives in a garage, so presumably she's she's the, the least affluent of anything. But yeah, quite a nice garage. It's a lovely garage, but it's really? a garage. It's okay. Yes, it's still a garage. 
Uh, and yeah, I'd, I'd probably take a, a, a humble home over a, and a really nice carriage. Um, but so, yeah, she's she's basically a broke. Um, again, it's it's later found that she has kind of prior arrests, so she's the most criminalised of them already. Mm. But the others are basically just um, working poor, um, trying to do their best. And um, again, yeah, Stony. Um, to get some kind of tuition, ends up having to sleep with... Uh, he's kind of not quite forced, but not quite not forced into sleeping with a car dealer to get a loan. And when she finally gets that, her brother says, I'm not going to college anyway. I didn't, I didn't pass into it, so we should do all that for nothing. Um, and then as he goes out for the night, he gets basically confused or mixed up um, for one of the actual robbers in the original scene um, by an entire SWAT team that leaps out um, and as he tries to produce a bottle of champagne to show he's unarmed, he gets gunned down in a horrible way. Um, there is, I mean, uh, you know, it, it's quite um, prescient uh, with the kind of um, Black Lives Matter uh, yeah. movement in America at the moment. Um, and, you know, obviously young black men getting shot. One of the lessons I think to be learned from this is when you have about 20 policemen pointing guns at you, don't put your if you're a, a young black man, don't put your hand in your jacket to pull out what looks like a gun, but is in fact a champagne bottle. Yes. Don't do that. Leave it in your jacket. I mean, moreover, there's not enough champagne in that bottle for everyone to share either. It's not a, it's not a demijohn. Um, no, it's, it's, a, it's not a Jeroboam, is it? It's not a Jeroboam. If you had a Jeroboam, firstly, it would be harder to conceal. Um, <laughs> but there would have been enough for everybody, and I think they might have diffused the situation. They still, yeah, uh, might have diffused the situation. Get around for a little drinky. But no, it's, um, funny enough, in a, in a film, you know, it's a film that certainly has that um, kind of social edge to it but in, but there yeah. are contrivances things are exaggerated to their limit that moment yeah. actually probably felt like the least contrived as in yeah, yeah that could happen um yeah actually that's true yeah that, that, that scene was yeah it's yeah. probably the most realistic yeah. scene in it you can imagine that happening yeah because basically he's hanging out in the the home of the actual armed robber who has a, um, a shaven letters on the back of his head and he gets the same thing done um so when he's walking out that's their their kind of probable cause thing he must be the guy so they will kind of leap on him um and then just it escalates and he gets immediately gunned down but yeah and then the the actual robber gets killed too and there's a huge shootout kind of and that escalates now into the ridiculous but yeah the idea that he would be mistaken and then questions wouldn't be asked before he got shot felt very real yeah. um so that's kind of so Paul Stoney um is in a bad way from that um then Tishan takes her little toddler to to work because she can't afford the babysitter and he immediately manages to swallow bleach um so then there's a hospital trip with a little kiddie um and he gets taken into care because she's considered neglectful or a dangerous environment or whatever so she now needs to go before a judge and prove that she has the wherewithal to look after him which implies she needs money so all these things are pushing them into we definitely need to rob a bank now um and Frankie, of course, now being both embittered by the bank, is also saying, I know how banks work. I can rob a bank better than anybody. I, we, you know, we can actually get away with it. She's the inner workings of banks. She knows like the back of her hand. Yes. Um, but the, but to, the, to get the, uh, the stuff to set it off with, they need guns. And who can provide them but Dr. Dre? Um, <laughs> yeah, Dr. Dre in, in what must be one of the most cliched uh, casting options <laughs> ever. Like mid-90s Dr. Dre. Um, I, I, I think he does quite well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't really think. Oh, he's been dropped in there. I mean, he is, he is basically just mooching around the guns, leering at the women yeah. and shooting yeah. things. But he does it very convincingly. He does do it very convincingly. Yeah. Um, so there. So, so given his oeuvre. Yes, yes. So they, they go to um, to Doctor A.K.A. Black Sam and and persuade him to lend them some guns, which is very nice of him. So they, he gives them a load of guns. Well, and also he, he it's he it's like a favour to Cleo who um, used to. Um, 
run a kind of side gig for him in stealing cars. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So that's why they know each other. So he does her a favour and say that you can you can have the guns really for this yeah. for, the, for what you need to do. Yeah, and they go off and they they conduct their first robbery and it's um it's very successful. They get away with uh, a, a small amount of loot um and they get away <clears> clean. Uh, which of course now just you know escalates things. You know, Clear wants to do it again. I think Frankie's still up for it. Um, Tashon needs to have more money to do it. And mm. um, Stony. Frank, Frank, oh, Frank is gagging. Yes. Basically. She's gagging for it because she's obviously this is in all of this plays out in her mind. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in the, the the second reading, this is Frankie's mind. We should mention as they were casing their first joint. Um, yes. Stony yes. Stony is in a very posh bank and immediately accosted by one of the the senior managers, who. I'm going Keith to go on a Weston, limb. Keith the Weston. least interesting name of a character in a film I've ever heard. Keith Weston. And we would say, Keith Weston, I'm going to go on a limb and say he was a love interest, although it, that is not borne out by the script or the direction or the actor. <laughs> because, uh, I mean, well, I mean, pictures, you know, he's, he's a senior member of the bank. He, he approaches a potential customer and just asks her out and calls her pretty. And, you know, so that's borderline harassment in the first place. He, just says, he even I, says it, doesn't he? He says, I wouldn't normally do this, or I don't normally do this, yeah. but I, how could I not ask someone so beautiful out? Yeah. Yeah. And, think, and, oh, yeah. And, and, <laughs> There's, I think this is, this is in the first meeting. He goes, so can I have your number? And she goes, no. And he goes, no? As in, what? <laughs> me? You're refusing me? <laughs> I'm Keith Weston. <laughs> Nobody refuses me by their number. Um, so we, we can probably actually, given this subplot is entirely tacked on, we can we can rush through it quite quickly. They meet up you know, and have various dates um, whilst the robberies are going on. He's in, he's part of the final bank, um, and he gets she calls him and scares him out of the way, and they don't meet up in the end. He just like... He's left. Keith West is left at his desk, thinking, "Wow, I was dating an armed robber." But um, well, I, I, although I say he, he, he's quite an underwhelming romance, it, is, it does yeah. have it does have, and we'll get onto this a bit later. It does have the the for me the best um, kind of needle drop in any film we've seen in Weekend at Crombies. Okay. Oh, what's up to that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well, um, to, to just yeah summarise the relationship, it, he is breathtakingly condescending to, to Stoney. <laughs> um, well, and and throughout as well, isn't throughout, he? Throughout. Yeah. Um, we should mention, yeah, he's, he's also black, um, but very educated. He's from the, the East Coast. He's been to Harvard. He's been to business as, as he As he immediately mentions. Yes. And he it literally, he's, the first thing he asks is, can you take me somewhere in your hood? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, she, she has recoiled <laughs> at that. It's funny how Stoney is both very amused by him, and but doesn't actually, but also charmed. And I don't get the charmed bit because he is no. quite ridiculous. Yeah, he's slimy, and he's like a, he's he's like he's slumming. It's like an anthropologist, isn't he? Really? Oh, very he's much just... so. Yeah, and and um, yeah, he's uh, what is he? He's he, <laughs> everything he's a, he was very much like a politician. He, everything he talks about is like a little statement. He goes, oh, "I'm just very happy to be sitting here talking to you, listening to you." It's like <laughs> you haven't let get a word in edgeways so far. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Because I, I'm I'm from I'm from DC. Have you been to DC? No. Have you been to I've oh, sorry, I then went to New York. Have you been to New York? No. Have you been anywhere outside LA? <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. It's oh. like obviously she hasn't. She's quite clearly you know a person of not many means. Um, you t- um, what is the the, the 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 pinnacle of Keith Weston's condescension yeah. is when um, he calls her up and says. Uh, can you, you know, I've got this really big dinner tonight and I want you to come with me. So, you know, she turns up at his house in this flamboyant, um, multicolored dress. Yeah. And, um, she goes, Oh, do you like it? And he went, he goes, it's 
colourful. <laughs> uh, you know, and Keith Weston knows very much. little about anyway, it. They get in the limousine, and um, he goes, uh, "You know, I've, I've actually I've been lying to you. There's, I've been lying to you about one thing." And it turns out the thing he's been lying to her about is the fact that he absolutely hates the dress that she's yeah, wearing. Yeah. So they go to this really posh shop and get her a, a, like a you know a, a, a slick black dress, as it yeah. were. And it's just kind of like, again, you know, he's basically said, "No, you look you look shit." Yeah. I'm going to I, listen. It's a dinner, okay? There's going to be some high-powered, highfalutin um, clients at this dinner. You're not dressing that ethnic dress. I'm sorry, <laughs> that dress is too ethnic for me. <laughs> This is the man. When when um when Stoney first goes round to his house, he answers the door in a three piece suit, um, <laughs> of which one half of the waistcoat is claret and blue, and the other half of the waistcoat is a vibrant greeny grey. <laughs> this is a man without any fashion sense. Yes, I'll make two more points on that. Firstly, the whole thing with that dressing, I think, was meant to play it like Pretty Woman, um, yes. but without any of the charm. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they, yeah, they did. The, the, the Julia Roberts is a prostitute in Pretty Woman as well. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Uh, but it's all made to play like, let me take you to somewhere fancy and we will get you a nice dress and I will dress you as you ought to dress and take you to a nice place. Yeah. Um, rather than just, you know, if someone turns up and just say, that's nice, dear, and just go for, go on the date. But also the way he announced it, you're quite right, he says, you know, I've been lying to you about one thing. Ha ha, it's the dress. Um, yeah. He doesn't just say that. He begins with a speech saying, you know, Stoney, we've been going out for a long time. We spend a lot of time together and I've been enjoying it. But I'm enjoying the time we've had together. And it's like, why are you talking like this to her? It's like, she's one person. She's not a room of 20 yeah. Stonies you have to address. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Keith Weston is enjoying your company. He <laughs> the third person. Still, you know, he gets his wicked way with it, though, doesn't he? He does, he does. Um, and in fairness, the, that, that, um, the, yeah, the, the inevitable love scene really goes hard on the, the massage oil. Oh, it does. <laughs> it does. It does. There's a, there's a lot of dripping in candlelight and a lot of... Uh, imagine what can only be a stunt bottom being rubbed vigorously <laughs> with, with massage oil. I, it, yeah, it's a bit icky. It is. It is. It, but there's been worse. But also that again. Yeah, um, yeah, just... Well, don't get me wrong. I think of, I can think of worse things to do. But <laughs> I can think of worse I... things to happen to me than to, to be loved up by Keith Weston. Yeah, I think by actually having a conversation. Me, I, I, think, I think having a conversation with Keith Weston is infinitely worse <laughs> than having your bottom rubbed by Keith oh, Weston. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Keith Weston is now going to make love to Stoney. <laughs> We've, had, we've discussed about it. We all we're all on board with this now. Keith Weston is, is, is going to warm his hands on the massage oil. I feel we've gone down a Keith Weston cul-de-sac here. For, so, for someone who plays a minor role in this film, I think I think we've done the uh, minor character section. For a for, for a film that involves characters who pick up random bystanders and execute them, Keith yeah. Weston is by far the worst character in this film. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you know, he, the thing is, he's supposed to represent a successful black man, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's the, the aspiration and the, the, and the other life. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. And he's but, awful. <laughs> smarmy and slimy and horrible yeah and again maybe a yeah, different reading of the film is you know look at what you've avoided you, you know Stoney you're with your own people they're, they may be poor and they may be hard up and sometimes they may be criminal but they're real with Keith yeah. Weston is this blow up doll of a man in a three piece suit yeah exactly exactly um, but and also he doesn't end up with him but we'll come to that I don't want to spoil the film there um, right. let, let's crack him before we turn it too late to Keith Weston um <laughs> So, well, the um, thing is, Keith Weston has a best friend called Nigel as well. It's, it's, <laughs> he it's does. typical of Keith. I thought you made that up, but he does have a best friend called Nigel. <laughs> he does. It's typical of Keith, isn't it? 
I imagine they like to play a game of squash on the weekends. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Ah, so, um, we're on our second robbery now, which I think is also, again, conducted flawlessly, but it's even for a bigger amount of loot. So, the, you know, it's escalating now. They, they've done yeah. two robberies now, and things are never better. They've got, a, like, a quarter of a million dollars in, in loot now, which they squirrel away in, in one of the buildings they clean, thinking the police will never find it there. And they're right, the police don't find it there, but their cleaning employer does find it there. <laughs> Or at least they suspect he does. Um, this is this is Luther who um, runs He's Luther's another cleaning. Another smart character. Although I quite like Luther. He has a certain, he has a certain swagger to him. <laughs> Well, are... he's, just, he's just a businessman, isn't he? Yeah, he's not very pleasant, but he's not yeah, not aggressively nasty um, and potentially steals all their money. But um, the second robbery has gone off very well. They have a, a quarter of a million dollars that they squirrel away in the um, the place they used to, the building they clean, so it won't get discovered in their own houses. Mm. But their employer Luther discovers it and and basically grabs the money and runs. Yeah, um, he does. But he's, he's caught. He's caught though. He's caught because he's down obviously the... like like any lustful red-blooded man um spends it on prostitutes and, gold and watches. alcohol <laughs> yes. and nice watches and yeah nice watches yeah um, as, the, as the camera pans around luther's pad yes. his love pad yes. um and he's making love to a prostitute yeah it just, we don't know it, if she's a prostitute so, actually she might just be someone who's a fan of big watches yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I guess I, that's a euphemism. I don't know, but um, certainly, certainly the money. Uh, Luther doesn't have a lot going for him in terms of looks. No, let's just leave it at that. Um, but I, I will come to. So basically, the gang track him down, um, with the exception of Stony, who's off on a date. Um, yes. And and one thing turns another, and he ends up getting who's shot. Stony off on a date with Keith Weston. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> She's in her she's in her finest shining red pantsuit, which I thought looked very colourful in a nice way, not in a Keith Weston sneery way. Because no. um, she ends up in a normal. We're back to the fashion. She's in a normal little black dress, and she looks very nice in it because it's a kind of a ball gown. But it's not. Yeah, it won't make you stand out. She looks like everyone else in a little black dress. Yeah, exactly. She yeah, she turned up in that dress. They'd that go, who's, dress. who's who's that who's that who's that uh, lady in the pantsuit? Um, <laughs> but. But, the, but in, interesting again, Stony is the only one kind of inverted commas innocent of Lilium, of Luther's murder. Um, yes, I don't know if we hadn't explained. Luther is shot by Cleo. No, shot by Tishon. No, no, she's not. It's not. It's by Tishon. Yeah, Luther and Cleo end up getting a gun each and having a standoff, and it's quickly mm-hmm. resolved by Tishon killing Luther. So Tishon, the the least murderous of the group, the is the one. Tishon, yeah. Yes. Um, though interesting again, as a side note, they don't find the loot, so they're still very. They have no money whatsoever now. Um, but they don't, so they don't even find Luther's swag that he took from them. It's never made completely clear that he took it. I, I did wonder about that because they, all they know is Luther left the clean, basically the term said Luther's left the cleaning business and they find the money gone. I did wonder, did Luther just sell up his cleaning business, maybe retire, buy himself some nice watches? He did and, that and quickly, and, didn't he? He did it quickly, but what if he'd done that and he, he was literally innocent of the whole thing and the money got sucked down the air vent because that's where they hid it. And poor old Luther was thinking, this is a retired life, I'm enjoying this, I've, you know, I've, I've cashed in my cleaning business, I've got, myself a, lot, prostitutes. Prostitute, I've got myself a nice bottle of some prostitutes and a nice couple of watches and then he gets murdered. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll That's never true. know. One, I hadn't one, one of the unanswered questions of, of anyway. So because uh, they don't find it, do they? No, they don't find it. Um, no. Which which of course catapults them into the final scene um, mm. when they have to do you know just one last job, um, which of course um, goes very wrong because uh, Detective Strode has been uh, briefing that very same bank, which is 
Keith Weston's bank. Um, Keith Weston, as I, the, the the light is slowly dawning on Keith Weston as they show yeah. the pictures of these four black women um, robbing a bank, saying they know about banks. They case the banks. They might even know someone in the bank. And Keith Weston is going click 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 click. Um, at which point he gets he gets a call from Stoney saying, uh, making a perfectly normal date, saying, "Come to that place we met in five minutes." Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, he goes, and "Okay." And he's actually waiting. He's sitting there waiting. He actually goes there. He's yeah. there, and as if he's going to have a date, not as if he's been cleared out. So he's been cleared out of the way. So Keith Weston will not catch a bullet, thank God. Um, but the the rest of the gang burst in again, as with all times you know in the final bank robbery they get a bit greedy they go back for some more money go back for some more money and that is their undoing because that gives detective strode and his partner enough time to circle back and have them in a, in a standoff and indeed the uh he's uh, dexter strode has gone through his own little arc and actually he's gone from the person yelling at frankie for not setting off the alarm um to the person who feels very guilty for killing stoney's brother to the person who wants to catch the criminals to now the person who wants to just end it bloodlessly he's you know he's he's constantly yelling mm. no more killing it's enough i'm ever so sorry but it's gotta end it's gotta end yeah. and he's almost done it he's got two of the gang lowering their weapons um when wouldn't you believe it the security guards leap out of the, out of hiding and open fire and and all hell breaks loose uh, to Sean, she's shot, isn't she? She's, she's fatally, fatally wounded. Um, the two security guards are, of course, immediately gunned down as the detectives. The name well, guys with the, 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 no, the ones with names that can cover. <laughs> yeah, the the uniforms just stand there. Um, so so the, the, again, they they all dash off in their car. Tashawn dies in in Stoney's arms. The surviving three have the big helicopter chase through L.A. Um, Cleo basically leads them away. She sacrifices herself. Um, she does like a Thelma and Louise style. Um, <laughs> Sorry, she is on her own, but yes. Yeah, she's on her own. Yeah, she's yeah. Somebody's yeah, Bonnie and Clyde. She 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 drives pell mell at the uh, the police blockade, um, <clears> and then when she, after that's been shot to pieces, leaps out with an Uzi and then gets gunned down. Um, yeah. So the, the gang is now dying in fairly quick order, um, which just leaves again Frankie and Stony. Um, Stony has, <laughs> and this is a very sad point in the film. It's the characters we've been with are very sad but Stoney's escape method is to leap on an old age pensioner's tour bus of Mexico yeah. whilst donning a sombrero yeah the, the, the irony of course is that, that then that coach is caught up in the traffic that is caused by the police and Frankie having a uh, a, a kind of standoff yeah. and so as the coach without without any consideration for the safety of any of the pensioners on the coach. The driver is obviously insane. Just drives <laughs> very slowly into shot <laughs> right in front of Frankie as all of the policemen yeah. raise their guns. That is tricky. Those bullets are only going in one direction and that's towards that's the really coach. Yeah. yeah, they're going to be, that coach is going to be riddled. Yeah. So Frankie's been run down now. She's, she's been caught too. And uh, Detective Strode is kind of like putting his gun down and, and trying to reason with her. Um, she's not having any of it. And basically she then also gets gunned down too in front of Stoney's eyes. Uh, then Detective Strode, who is very distraught at this point, sees Stoney in the coach window as the mm-hmm. coach slowly pulls away. And then we should mention detect, this is police detective Strode <laughs> makes the call of, Oh, she's had enough. She suffered enough. <laughs> I don't want yeah, to exactly. arrest anyone else. You know, not forgetting that, um, although it might not be, you know, not directly linked to Stony, people have died. Yeah. But not, not forgetting that, you know, even if he is, you know, now a bit more on her side and can see her point of view, you just have to arrest her still. Yeah. He's a, yeah, he's a 
detective. Yeah, he doesn't have and to also, kill. He's committed crimes. Yeah, in, yeah, he doesn't have to kill her. He doesn't have to do anything about it. But you do have to, you know, say you've seen a criminal. <laughs> this is the thing. I don't know how American policing works, but yeah, you don't have to kill her. I don't, I don't think this film is a manual for it. It is really like you just yeah. have to arrest her. Yeah, it is really like let's let, let this one go. She has earned her freedom, um, yeah. and, and so she does. So so Stony is her next. No more killing. Goes. No more killing. <laughs> we don't have to. Just arrest her. She's in a coach below old people. It's literally no threat. Yeah. Well, she again, uh, yeah, she may be on, but she yeah, she would be difficult to uh, to blend in with basically what is full of old white grannies, <laughs> and she's just sitting there with a sombrero. <laughs> Well, she got away. She got away, yeah. So clearly, border checks aren't all that. Um, so she she um, she escapes. She's in Mexico. She does call <coughs> Keith Weston to say goodbye. Um, yeah. But she doesn't seem that sad Thank about you it. Thank you, Keith, for condescending me throughout. Indeed, yes. Film. Thank you, Keith, for the condescension and the dress. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and she drives off. And, feel, you made me feel less of a woman. <laughs> <laughs> but you bought me a dress. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that was good enough to get me in bed. <laughs> And that was that's the end of the film. She drives off and and scene. That is the mm-hmm. end of. She wins, off. doesn't she? She she got she's yeah she does she's got all the money, which I assume is quite a lot. Um, see, so yeah, there's a moment where she's looking at the money on the bed and reminiscing back to all her friends. You know the the times they had, the laughter they had, and then. Um, and she and I think the most on point bit of the soundtrack is the song saying something like, I will miss you, you and my sisters. I feel sad. We shouldn't have done that bank robbery fiddle It's quite a seal, isn't it? It, I, it sounded like a woman, but um, oh, so does it. Yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, what is you read the soundtrack sometimes just you know gives a mood piece. This give actually gives a, a very kind of this has just happened in the plot. Yeah. She yeah. is sad. Her friends are dead. And that is why she, she is sad. She was on a coach full of old people. <laughs> it smelled and funny. Sl- slowly drove in front of Frankie. <laughs> nonny, nonny, no. Yeah. Well, that, and that is, that is set it off. There's no cricket in that at all. There's no drinking of ale. No. There's no naked there, miners. There, 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 is, there is smoking of chronic. He's smoking of chronic. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, again, Hugh, you said this. You sound the so little like uh, someone from South Central LA. <laughs> James, you tripping? <laughs> Before it descends any further, let's take a break for a jingle and come back where we shall analyse. Set it off. I'm starting to want to watch a film about Keith Weston. <laughs> Would you? That would be a brilliant film. I mean, he's 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 the banker you love to hate. He <laughs> can only talk in platitudes and condescension. Yeah. yeah. Inside, he's dying. Yeah, exactly. It'd be brilliant. It's about his, you know, his addictions. He had his little pot of cooking when he was making Italian. Exactly. <laughs> he comes out with it with his three-piece suit on and his, his shirt sleeves rolled up twice, perfectly folded. He's got a little pot that he's stirring. Yeah. I'm oh, making Italian. Anyway, that's, that's another thing. In, in, in the film, when, when, um, when she goes around in, like, I don't know, she goes around for dinner, that, that scene where she's going around for dinner, yeah. she turns up, she's got, like, tracksuit bottoms on and, like, a, um, a gingham top. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, he opens the door and goes... Mm-mm. Like that, like oh, it's so creepy. And then basically, she sits down and he says, "Right, so what cuisine do you want?" Yeah. What if she said something like, "Oh, Mongolian?" 
He's like, oh, keep I'm the rest of the keep the rest of the I was thinking like Mexican or Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> Everything he says though is like he, you know, he's a. Uh... It's, she has, you know, goes. Have you got? Have you got any family? I've got a brother. Good, and he will go to college, and he will do fine things. He's dead. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's okay. No, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. It, oh, oh, no bed. <laughs> let's park Keith Weston. Let's put yeah. him in his own Keith Weston place for now. Cause <laughs> <laughs> I think we can spend longer on Keith Weston. We spent on Too Late the Hero. Yeah. Yeah, we could. Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> Two hours of Keith Weston, a minor character, and set it off. <laughs> oh, I should stop laughing when we talk about the, yeah, the deaths of all these characters. <clears throat> Welcome back, everyone, to our analysis of Set It Off. And so we'll begin uh, with James inviting me, Hugh, to give his reasons why he chose Set It Off. Hugh? Yes, James. Why did you choose Set It Off? <laughs> <laughs> Why did I choose Set It Off? I've yeah. not seen Set It Off basically since 1996 when it came out. Um, did you go to the cinema to watch it? I can't have done, but maybe like 97. <laughs> I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I don't think it reached the suburban South Wales. <laughs> it's also so much, so far out of your comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> well, going out, yes, very true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tell you why I probably didn't see it in the cinema because I vividly remember seeing the trailer on a on a blockbuster VHS. It wasn't even blockbuster back then. On my local VHS rental place, oh, I remember yeah. seeing the trailer and I again remember Queen Latifah giving the the immortal line, "I need something to set it off with." Um, yeah, and that that's stuck right, with me. Yeah. So I must have hired the, hired the VHS. So I probably saw it a year or two after it came out. Mm. Oh, I've never seen it. Actually. You've never seen it? No, never seen oh, it. No. I see. Oh, well, your take will be interesting. So I saw that. Um, it turns out, again, I, I'm pulling a lot of my Weekend of Crombie's films from nostalgia. And yeah. as, I, as I unpick my psychology, it appears I'm very keen on heist movies because I, I pick a lot of them. Um, you do? Yeah. So Face yeah. is one, for example. Yeah. Is there another one? Um, well, my shortlist has lots of them. Um, oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, you're right. The face. I guess it, uh, there's some interesting comparisons to Face. I was going to say I've got my my notes here that uh, Queen Latifah is very much this film's Phil Davis. Yes, definitely. I was um, going to say that. Yeah, uh, I absolutely. mean that is a compliment to them both. Um, it is, yeah. But but yeah, so I can only work out that uh, firstly, um, all my summer jobs as a teen were worked in a bank, so clearly I had some connection with really? robbing them. <laughs> yes. So you you were you were South Wales's Keith Weston. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming into place now. Yes, I did. I did approach customers randomly and harass them until they went out with me. <laughs> but no, I did. Impression weren't successful as Keith Westing. In in fairness, in in honesty, I spent my 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 banking experience in the vault. Um, <laughs> really? Yes. yes. I had to find things in the vault, and after seven hours, they would release me from the vault. <laughs> I would come blinking into daylight where I would uh, resustain myself and come back the next day and go into the vault. <laughs> I was not allowed near human beings at all. It was it was the really in many ways the perfect job for me. I I miss yeah. it. Dead. I mean you're still not, are you? No, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm still cut off. I'm I'm, yeah, I'm still in the vault as we speak. <laughs> That's why it's so cavernous here. Um, so that was the first reason. The second reason is I think I really like films where they itemise things. So in a heist movie, they'll always make a plan. And I'm terribly keen on itemisation as a plot driver. <laughs> yeah, OK. Yeah. So there I can you see so, that. I can see that. So as have, someone who's a huge fan of rule-based gaming. <laughs> yes. Um, so, I suppose that's all gaming, isn't it, really? Otherwise, it's anarchy. It is anarchy. Rule-based, yes. A game-based anarchy, yes. That's, <laughs> all games must have rules. Yeah, yeah. Um, hot take. So, 
<laughs> so, uh, so having now narrowed my genre, I did remember set it off as being obviously a very different type of heist movie. It's not just about the gang putting together the caper and and you know setting it off. It's uh, you know it clearly had you know having four female protagonists is one thing. Um, setting it in it certainly had you know it wears its political. Um, Associations on its, sleeve. on its sleeve. Yeah, yeah it does. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot. Uh, I remembered it being a lot to it. Yeah. I, th- I, was... I think similar to other heist movies as well. That the 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 criminals are sympathetic. Yeah. Actually, aren't yeah. they? They'll be very much. So. You, know, you root for them. You you want them to succeed. Yeah. I'm mean, again coming to the analysis. I mean, that was yeah pretty much the reasons why I chose it. It, you know, it was a heist movie I remembered from a time when I watched a lot of them, and it yeah. seemed to be different enough to be worth a weekend at Crombie's look and I'd not seen it since so I thought I'll give it a go and I think what put it in my mind was I read an interview with Jada Pinkett a few years ago who was also extolling set it off saying basically it was it, I mean it was a success by it comparison was, yeah. with its budget I mean it, yeah. it made it was a very very low budget it was like 9 million and yeah. made like 40 so it was a success in those terms but it was not a, a smash um, no she, but I think was, it was a bit of a breakout movie in, in the sense that yeah. it was probably not expecting to play to a very wide audience yeah, yeah. Uh, and by that I mean outside of a core demographic which is what it was probably aimed at yeah. but actually was successful in um, in kind of bringing a lot of different demographics to the cinema to watch it yeah. so it was kind of like a universal film it was seen as a heist movie rather than a a, 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 a black movie as it were but actually that was her criticism the saying that it was oh, really? it was promoted as this guns and heist movie when in fact it was much more about the, the relationship between the four characters yeah. um, and a kind of almost like a waiting to exhale movie whereas it was about mm. the relationships not about the the heists um but again, clearly it was it was marketing successful enough to make a lot of money, so it couldn't have been that bad. But yeah, it was. It was... But then I suppose I suppose that there's a there's a there's a, 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 a kind of inherent in, internal problem there, though, isn't there? Because it's what does what do you want the film to do? Do you want the film to be true to itself yeah. and have a limited audience, or do you want the film to be sold as something broad, yeah. so that people are able to experience what those characters might be going through? Indeed. And I think actually, um, so that was the, the reason I chose it. And to, to leap right into the, the analysis of it, I felt, again, on a rewatch, um, the film is pulled in quite a few different directions, mm-hmm. um, possibly by that need to, to meet a lot of expectations, or maybe just because it wasn't as tightly written or, or things happened during the, mm-hmm. the production. Uh, the first thing that really struck me is, and I remember this from the first time actually I watched it, too, I'd had the same feelings with it, is who's the protagonist? You, yes, I agree. With you you assume off you the bat. Frankie, you choose Frankie. She, Frankie yeah. is the first person you see. She actually yeah. has, a, you know, a, a, an instigation point when she, you know, she's the one that gets sees the robbery. She's the one that gets fired mm-hmm. unjustly. She's yeah. the one that knows the ins and outs. Um, the film, the film shoots. No, sorry, pardon me. <laughs> <laughs> the film shoots from her. Yes, very much mm-hmm. so. Yeah, and and so you think up until the first, let's say, 15 minutes, this is Frankie's story. Yeah, um, and yeah. then it, it, it heel turns very quickly into Stoney's story. Stoney yeah, yeah. is yeah. the one that has the, is put through the rigour the most. She's the one that has the love interest. Um, I forget his name, but... Uh, um... <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember either. She has the love interest. So she, um, she has the most happened to her. And again, she you can almost tell who the protagonist because she is the one who is innocent of the killing of Luther because she's not there and she yeah. escapes by being... And she's the, she's always the naysayer. She's the one who's the least violent of the four. She wants it. She wants to, to stop the robbery. So she is, I guess, in the morality of the film, the one who, uh, yeah. who is yeah. least active in, uh, the, in the robberies and therefore, by the judgment of the film, the most you know, able to survive. And also perhaps the most worthy yeah. in that regard because I, I think that, that Stoney's character arc... 
probably is the strongest. She 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 has the she has the strongest emotional um requirements, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. And that, yeah, and yet though, at the end, you know, yeah. the before Stoney's final scene, Frankie also has again a, a very strong payoff because uh-huh. she faces uh, Detective Strode again. She basically puts back into his face because he was basically at the beginning saying you were drilled into the routine of what you should do when you're being robbed why didn't you follow the routine mm-hmm. and she was saying because I had a gun in my face I, I froze I panicked and then she pulls a gun on him and basically saying what do you do and he kind of freezes and panics yeah. um, so it's and so that's her resolution but that resolution almost had a gap in the middle when she spent most of the film basically being very angry or <laughs> with, with the bank yeah, um, yeah. so it was like her, her arc is put on hold and very quickly wrapped up so you're once again thinking who were they and i know you can have more than one protagonist but oh sure but, but actually arc. yeah but then but then cleo uh, queen latifah's character has yeah. uh, again at the start you think that that character is going to be i mean certainly a loose cannon yeah. and she's loose cannon but but i think that she actually gradually as the film goes on becomes the 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 not the not the emotional center of the film necessarily but she's, the, she's the heart of the group yeah, that's true. She's the one when they're all feeling down, who cheers them up. Yeah, um, she's she's the one who yeah. takes she who almost takes on the the emotional responsibility for them. Um, yeah. and, and she's like, always going to have the most sacrificial ending. Yeah, yeah, always. And, you know, yeah. in 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 the heist movie cliche, she was going to be the one that would sacrifice herself for the others. Yes, and yes, yeah, she's the one who does. It. The, others, the others get caught or get killed in other ways, but only she's the one who makes the choice to give herself up to to that to save the others. Um. And yeah, it is a very, it's a very Bonnie and Clyde ending. She lights the last cigarette and goes mm-hmm. down fighting. Um, and again, so yeah, um, the, the, the character, um, was it uh, Tishan as well? I remember when I first watched this, I was very not interested in Tishan because she is, you know, the, the, on she's screen, the meekest. She's always she's reticent. She actually doesn't take part in the first one because she's too scared. <clears throat> um, and and of course, which, you know, she she obviously in the in the language of heist films would be the first one to get shot to show it's getting real yeah. because she's the least active of the thing. And I've been watching, thinking, well, you know, the least interesting member of the group has been removed yeah. now, so we're getting to yeah. interesting stuff. But I watched it a second time, right? You know, now twenty years on, it broke my heart. Yeah. <laughs> she's, Especially as as a parent, as exactly well, right? as a parent, she 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 get you know to her her child is you know accident she she got to do her you know, she got to look after her child. He accidentally you know swallows bleach or something, and then she gets taken away. So she is heartbroken halfway through the film, um, and you know is doing whatever she can to get him back and she literally dies in Stoney's arms in a very moving scene with that too and yeah so I was a lot more if anything she probably of all of the four protagonists has the most valid reason to rob a bank yes yes I'm not saying that the others don't necessarily they're all economic reasons the others are economic reasons yeah but but hers is an impetus. She has, she has a court date coming up that requires yeah, yeah. funds it's immediately. A, yeah, it's a familial reason. <coughs> it's a different bond. Yeah, which is interesting again on the, on the theme of it because firstly the film puts them through the ringer a lot in the first mm. 20 minutes again Frankie is the bank and the the murder in front of her and all that kind of stuff. Stony again goes through that whole almost unnecessary loop with the car dealer to get yeah. more money and then yeah. her brother gets killed so that yeah. it becomes, so it's not like Stoney's doing it because she needs tuition fees and that's her kind of ticking clock no. that's removed so they're almost a lot of the gang are doing it almost out of nihilism you know, Cleo yeah. seems to be doing it because she knows her the, her life is finite and therefore yes. she's going to she's going to get money and enjoy herself while she can and yeah, no, you're right. no, yeah. Chloe's reason is it, uh, Cleo, Cleo's reason sorry is an interesting one because you're right it, it's it, that I think hers is most nihilistic yeah. it's an acceptance that this is her lot yeah and so she might as well go out all guns blazing. Yeah. 
But again, Frank Frankie's is a very almost vengeful motive. Yeah. Again, and Stoney doesn't have a huge reason other than sticking with her friends and mm. and obviously money is a good, a good motivation. <clears throat> but her is money to get out. Everything yeah. is a very there's no almost, there's no positive thing. You know, almost Tishon's um, reason is the most positive to get her her son back. But it's it's yeah it's um but but puts her through the ringer. And again, it's um. To address actually, you know, the, the the fact the gender idea of the film, the fact that it gets is four women doing the heist, it yeah. puts them through the ringer. I think far more so than it would have put four men through the ringer to get them to the point where they rob a bank. You yeah, might definitely. you might get if if one of the the guys was a father, he might have a custody hearing, you know, and needs to get joint custody to any that kind of money. And maybe one guy had been falsely um, fired from his job and knew the bank, but. I think the emotional ringer they put them through is a lot stronger than they would men, and whether that's just because it makes you care about them a lot more, because when they all die, it is very, very sad. Um, yeah, yeah. Or, or because they, yeah, or because for gender reason they think, well, women have to have suffered more to break yes. the law. They yeah. would be naturally robbers. We'd have to show you how bad things have to be for that to happen. Uh, I mean, I, I agree with you completely. I think that if this was, um, if this was four black men who were the main protagonists. I think that the film would have not been about anything to do with personal trials or tribulations necessarily. Yeah. I think it would have been much more to do with um, fundamentally economic reasons. And those economic reasons, I would imagine, in a very cliched and probably stereotypical or even racist way, would be about drugs. Yeah. And it would be about um, gangs and stuff like that. And actually, Set It Off isn't, isn't really about any of that. Yeah. At all. In, in fact, the four protagonists, the things that they have in common is that they are black women. Yeah. Um, you know, yes, they um, you know, smoke a bit of weed. Yes, they uh, are rambunctious and they have parties where they dress up in afros and all this kind of stuff. You see one of those parties at the yeah. start. But what fundamentally connects them is that they're four black women, full stop. With limited and options for social advancement. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. With limited options, yeah, no social advancement. Um, uh, you know, it's the, the quote by Malcolm X. I'm not going to quote verbatim, but it's basically the most oppressed person in America is the black woman. Yeah. And this is what that this is. This isn't about gangs. This isn't about drugs. This is about survival. Yeah. Because yeah. Although, although Leo just wants a lowrider. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing that does age this film. I'll tell you two things that age the film. Firstly, um, the jeans are very, very blue. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things that age this yeah. film. <laughs> the, the second is, um, uh, so Cleo is the only is a gay character of the of the four, um, and yes. her girlfriend comes along very early on and she kisses her, and that's about it. But when when she kisses her girlfriend, the other three, and let's let's take the back, her best friends from Emma yeah. just roll their eyes. <laughs> And she's not doing anything obscene. She's not like throwing her down on the roof of her lowrider and shagging her. She's just giving yeah. her a kiss. And it was like, oh god, there she is, being gay again. Yeah, but, um, but it also it also has uh, for me as one of the best scenes in the film when um, I think it's the first heist that they pull, um, and Cleo has decided to buy uh, a lowrider. Yeah. Um, you know, one of those cars that bounces up and down, this kind of stuff, right? <laughs> And then thanks the, for explaining it to the norms. Yeah, thank you very much. It cuts <laughs> to a scene of her in the garage that she lives in with her uh, girlfriend, and she's obviously bought her girlfriend this really skimpy tight outfit. She's basically almost naked, and they're making out. And um, oh, it's an absolutely brilliant scene because it's, <laughs> it's down, like it, no, no, it's just <laughs> it's really funny as well. And the other three of them walk into the garage, and they're all like, 
what is going on here? She's like, well, you know, if I can't spend my money, <laughs> you know, I'm, I tell you what, I think she says something like, I'm, I'm having the best time. No, they're saying, why aren't you at work? And she's going, why would I go to work when I've got this at home? <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, that's what it is. Why would I go? Yeah, because she decided not to bother going into work. And, yeah. you know, the others are worried that it's, it's you know, causing suspicion because yeah, why yeah. did she get work? Yeah, uh, it's a brilliant scene. It's really funny. Yeah. I actually laughed my head off. Yeah. When but, it, yeah. but it's, it's funny again that the, actually the film presents, again, a gay relationship in perfectly normal terms. It's, um, yes, it does. It's, it, there's no, there's nothing above that. The girlfriend doesn't really speak. <laughs> but, no, you um, and, and actually that's an interesting thing as well because um, it does, it does present that gay relationship absolutely normally, and it, it, it without, um, without point or reference in the film at all. So, there's yeah, a no, few references. Luther keeps calling her a gentleman. Um, yes, I suppose. Yeah, and there's, there's one thing when I think that she's, she's trying to. Um, poor Frankie during the, the, the dope smoking scene but it's more like a playful thing and Frankie smacks her hand away yeah. but it's it's not nothing, she's not nothing portrayed nothing happens yet. to Cleo because of her homosexuality yeah yeah it's um so in, in one thing in one sense the film is is very chill with it and it makes no mention of it on the other hand all three friends are, have to show him to roll their eyes at it maybe that was any way they could signal in the mid 90s that a character was gay the fact that they, yeah, everyone yeah. had to go she's being gay yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but it was, yeah. it was an interesting again a note for the character and, um, but also the way they aged the film but oddly though and maybe this is me I don't know but um, when the scene where Cleo does kiss her um, girlfriend uh, Tanika um, part of me was surprised Actually, and I not I mean not surprised that um you know uh, the, the homosexuality existed in the in the nineties in um, L A, but actually I just did in a film like this it confounded my expectations a little bit and that's on me really that's my problem yeah and um, that I wasn't expecting that I thought it would be pretty <laughs> again pardon the pun I thought it would be a pretty straight um uh, narrative in that regard without any of that kind of um kind of alternative approach. I thought it was quite interesting because I, I immediately thought, okay, this this is this can be a bit different. Yeah, but once again, to gender flip it, it would be hard to imagine the same thing happening with those four guys. The only alternate I could think of is um, the Italian job that had Camp Freddy, who I would argue was not treated as sensitively as, as this. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the only one I can think of, it's not a film, but it's Omar from The Wire. Yeah, I was thinking, um, again, this is a pre-Wire film. And yeah, I is. think, you know, depictions of that kind of life are kind of informed by the wire and um, so everything seems yeah. more exaggerated because we've yeah, had does, yeah. a more realistic or more gritty um, portrayal of it's had more time to explore it yeah so, yeah, yeah. Um, any thoughts from you on again the, the thematics of it so the, the <clears throat> i just wanted to keep on the um, the idea of the four protagonists really yeah. and yeah. i think that it, it's a it's a really um well done um, exercise. I don't, know, I don't really know whether it's in the script. I don't think the script is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think it, I think effectively this is an exploitation movie yeah. um, in all but name. With with a with a big with although it has not it's not got a massive budget. It's it's got a budget if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I think it's an exploitation movie in all but name. But but there's nothing wrong with that. And actually some of the best exploitation movies are very entertaining. Yeah. Um, and I think that for me, if you view it as an exploitation movie, you can kind of get over some of its flaws and some of its um, kind of, uh, you know, it, it's it's um, on the noseness, as it were, and some of its contrivances. I think exploitation but, but, in what sense? Because again, I don't have your cinema language. What would that mean? On the noseness. No, no. So, <laughs> on, on the noseness, I've got exploitation yeah. as like a genre. Oh, so um, so I, okay. So uh, I'll finish off the thing about the protagonists. Okay, cool. I, I think actually what it does do well is that it gives each of those four protagonists 
equal space within the film mm. to develop the character that you sympathise and empathise with. Yeah. And that's no mean feat, given that it is a film with four characters, with four distinct personalities, with four distinct storylines. Yeah. So I think that's really well done, because it could so easily have fallen into um, a mess. Yeah. And I don't think it is a mess. I think that there are a lot of contrivances in the film. So, for example... Um, they go from, uh, you know, it, we, we, we are seeing why they need to rob banks, but it does go from not robbing banks to robbing banks very quickly. Yeah. And I think that, that's, that speed is a necessity in that kind of exploitation trope. You need to get to the point, get to the point quickly and then deal with the aftermath of that, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. There's also a lot of, um, there's a lot of glorification in the film of money and guns. Yeah. And I think that that's, typical of an exploitation film i think that given that the movie although it is quite a hard-hitting movie it has moments where it lightens its mood and so therefore i can kind of accept that um maybe glorification is the wrong word but but fascination uh, or of guns that kind of it's almost the sexualization of guns and the money and, and all that kind of stuff as well because it's it's a it's a hard-hitting film but there's also something in it which is quite throwaway which which works for me in that regard and i think that some of the best exploitation films will balance that um distinctively hard edge with um comedic elements or nonsensical elements and one of the examples i'll give is when they are um discussing whether to do another uh, armed robbery and frankie does an impression of marlon brando from the godfather yes and they're all around the table and you think you think Actually, in a serious film, in a serious heist movie, that film, that scene would not be in it. Yeah. But this is not. This is an exploitation film, and so therefore they can do impressions of The Godfather whilst discussing whether they should rob another bank because it's their livelihood. It's very light-hearted. I thought that 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 scene. Yeah, that I, I, that scene noted down. That is tonally awful <laughs> in the scene. Yeah, it is. It, 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 it is absolutely it is, it is a complete yeah. shift, and yeah. I think what what shifts it most. Um, is because yeah, basically it is literally they are sitting around they're, they're cleaning a big office block so they're around a big conference table and um, Frankie has stuffed cotton wool up her mouth and I should probably say Vivica A. Fox has done that because almost all four actresses are doing very good Godfather yeah. impressions they, they've really got yeah. the, 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 the nuances down they're doing fantastic cod you know Italian gangster voices and, and, mot- and expressions as they're discussing you know how to do the next job Mm. And at the end, she's, um, Frankie spits out the cotton and slams it down. Let's let's do it then. Yeah. Um, and... It looked to me as though that was a scene that was totally improvised and was like a little bit off the cuff. Yeah. And it just and and uh, the director was was just recording. Yeah. And when they looked back, they thought, you know, that's really good. Yeah. But the, the trouble was, yeah, if if that had evolved from the, cause you could think they're four close friends and they might have thought it was funny to do it. They thought we were doing it. But if it had happened naturally, as in. They see a big table, and then all of a sudden Frankie starts riffing into yeah, uh, Marlon Brando, yeah. and they all start to join in the fun. But because it's so contrived, it feels like an SNL sketch, because they're already there, um, and they're already doing all the things perfectly in character, and no one's breaking breaking character. It's set up, and, isn't it? And the film's music is playing the Godfather theme tune. And yeah. as soon as they say no, it record scratches, and they're back yeah. to normal. So the fact yeah. that the film was in on the joke too made it feel very unnatural and very much like, like a comedy scene in a film where they're basically plotting the thing that will end up in their deaths. Um, So it it felt, yeah, tonally completely off. And I think that is the most, um, the most obvious shift in a film that has a couple of them, actually. The few, the film, I think, again, I don't know if you finished your point, but I'll come to it, doesn't know what it really is. 
Yeah, and, but that, that I think is part part of exploitation process. So yeah. there are points in the film where there is confrontation that is brought to the forefront. When I don't think I don't really think any confrontation is necessary. It's almost like yeah. it, it explodes into confrontation, yeah. and you think, well, what, what, what happened there? There's there's a scene where Cleo um, puts a gun to um, Stoney's head. I think that's right, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, and I was just thinking, well, that escalated quickly. Yeah, because and literally they're, they're saying, yeah, they're saying, I want to, oh, let's do another bank robbery. No, I don't think we should. And then there's a gun on her head. She's not saying, yeah. I'll yeah. go to the so police. It's, or done, it's done for confrontational effect. It's yeah. aggressively confrontational on in purpose yeah. in that regard. Now, again, you know, maybe maybe I'm giving it a little bit too much credit. That could just be really bad editing and not a great script. But 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 actually, it, for me, it feels a little bit more like it's throwing everything at the screen. Yes. And you've got to you, you're either going to go with it. And it's quite a, a visceral and um, you know heart pumping. But when the action gets going, it's, it's very impressive. Yeah. You know, some of the some of the um, some of the heist sequences are really well done. You know, there's a there's a fluidity and a kinetic uh, nature of the way the camera moves. Um, and all this kind of stuff as well. But, you know, it's all of that process. It, the fact that Frankie has worked in a bank, I don't see anything in any of the heists that they do yes. that would suggest she knows anything more about how to do a heist than yes. just someone who's a novice. This, this so the thing, is that, yeah. it's like lost immediately. But this, that's kind of the way it is. But this, this is the thing, because Frankie's big thing is, I know how to do a bank. I know where the weak points are. We're not yeah. going to go in blazing like those idiots that we know about who will get yeah. killed and get innocent people killed. We're going to do it sensibly, cleanly, perfectly <laughs> crime. And you'd think... And of well, course they, they don't. They do. <laughs> they, they literally run in and they again yeah. they, 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 they jump on top of the tellers and they're shouting and it's, it's basically they're robbing the bank like Point Break guys rob, like the ex-presidents rob the bank oh yeah they're robbing the bank in exactly the same way that everybody robs it how on earth have they, have they not been caught yeah you know, and why, why doesn't John C. McGinley yeah. um, just arrest them if he knows who they are well again there's a few yeah, he, he knows that very quickly as well yeah yeah um, but that's, this is the thing. They, they rob the bank yeah, like people in movies rob the bank. There's nothing clever about how they do it. And they could have done it in a clever way as they scope it out and et cetera. But there we are. Um, there's a, in the second robbery, um, Tashon is, is put amongst the crowd, even though she looks exactly like the bank robbers. They've all got big wigs and sunglasses. Um, and, and, but she, she somehow blends in with the crowd, pretending to be one of the, one of the, um, the, the normal um, customers. And then when a cop who is also an, like an off-duty cop who is also among the crowd reaches for his gun, she's right there next to him to mm. take it off him. And firstly, that's very handy that she happened to sit down next to the guy who was an undercover cop. And secondly, that's because in Point Break there was an undercover cop. It's almost like the film knows its own genre and therefore would know that an undercover cop would be there and therefore knows you've got to put one of the gang there to stop him. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't yeah. like they, they worked it out in a clever way to no, anticipate no, and, trouble. And, yeah, I suppose that's, 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 that's exactly the point you've hit there. It's not clever. Yeah. But that doesn't mean to say it's not entertaining. True, yes, yes, yes. And I, and I think that's the real distinction. So for me, it, it, this reminded me of some films, I can't think of any of the top of my heads, but there's loads of action films that you watch, you know, over the years where, so, you know, um, the bad guys shoot 100 bullets and it never hits yeah. anyone. The good guy shoots one bullet and it kills him instantly. Yeah. I mean, you think when you're watching an action film like that, you know that that's ridiculous. And you think, oh, this is ridiculous. But so what? Right. It's, it's you still accept it. Yeah. If it's an entertaining film, you'll still accept that as a as a as a logical process as something that's real, as it were. Or you, you just you suspend belief. Right. Yeah. You just go, OK, yeah. this is what this film is about. This is what an action film does. 
And casting yeah. back to seriously to say the heist films, you're, the heist scenes rather, you're right. They are very well done, and it's almost you only notice when it's been done badly. But in this sense, you you have a sense of geography in all the banks. You know where they're coming from. You know where the danger yeah. is. You know where they're going to. You can follow the flow of the action. Um, so when they they're bursting yeah. in, they're running out. You've you've got it. You, it's in your head, and it's all that's within instantaneously, um, yeah. which is very, very well done. And if it's not done, yeah, if it's done again with sort of zipping around cameras and people just shouting and you're lost you're not yes. as involved in the scene whereas here you know where all the people are and you know what could happen and it keeps it very close to the characters as well so we yeah. are following them in the heist as well rather than so it's rather than the situation yeah. we follow the characters and that helps a lot actually yeah so i think i think there's a lot there i think that there's a lot in that in that process which i which i think works if you view it as a ironically as a piece of fluff almost yeah. that just so happens to be about um four black women who are economically compromised yeah. and so therefore are forced to escape the world that they live in and this this kind of motif of escape i think it is writ large through it because the not not to labor the point but the keith western character in many ways is whatever we think about his condescension um Jada Pinkett Smith, uh, sorry, Jada Pinkett uh, Stoney asks him whether he feels free. And um, he says, yes, I do feel free. Do you feel free? He asks her and she says, no, I don't. And so it's about escape in a lot yeah. of instances. And so that's, that's, that comes through quite strongly as well. Yeah. But I think that actually, you're entirely right about how it works. It does feel though jarring to <clears throat> sort of enjoy on a light level something which is sort of so clearly real in the sense of you know people are being shot unjustly by police and people are being mm. held down in communities yes, yes. impoverished and you know young black women are being exploited by again the the lecherous men around them or the patronizing <coughs> keith westons or the the police that don't believe them or the 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 economy that exploits them there's all that in what is also portrayed as just sit back and enjoy the film yeah absolutely and indeed sit back and enjoy the film it doesn't end well for three of them um no, so, it doesn't so it's, it's not uh, like yippee we all got away um yeah. it's 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 very you know i left the it, it, film feeling very very sad it's not yeah. not because i'd seen and, a bad film it's because i'd i felt very sad yeah you're right i mean it, it you know um it it's a it's probably the reason why it was as successful as it was in the mid 90s because it 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 probably didn't delve too deeply into some of those socio-economic implications yeah so a broad audience who want to watch a heist film yeah. can go and watch a heist film. Yeah. And an audience who might want a little bit more depth can go and watch a film about four black women who just so happen to need to rob banks. Yeah. So by not, by not being everything to everybody, it probably did enough for a lot of people to think, actually, I'm going to, I feel, I feel empowered to go and watch that film because I've heard that it's entertaining yeah. and I don't need to think too much about the kind of the social realist aspects of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fair point. Um, so it's one of those, you know, it's one of those films where you think, um, how do you get, how do you get really hard hitting, um, stories to the mass, to the masses, or how do you get historical films to the masses? You make them entertaining, right? Yeah. You create characters that may not have been real, but are people that you can connect with, even if they don't go in your circles. There's a universal archetype of an individual who you connect with. I think Stoney is one of those. I think Cleo is one of those. I think to a lesser extent, Frankie and Tishon are, are, are those characters, but certainly Stoney and Cleo. Yeah. 
whether whether you are whether you understand the context they're in, you can see something in them that you recognise. Yes, and you're very involved in what they're going to do next, which is important for, for a character. So the thing, the other thing that I really like about the film is that um, at the point at which Keith Weston and Stoney are um, about to make love, um, a particular song by On Vogue kicks in, which, um, notwithstanding the fact that I really, really like the song itself, is is it it kicks in at the perfect moment um, and send absolute shivers down my spine. Um, can you hear this? I can. And it's called Don't Let Go. It's just like Goldfinger. It, it does sound a little bit like Goldfinger, yeah. Uh, obviously won't play the whole four minutes and 49 seconds. Goldfinger. <laughs> Your Shirley Bassey sounds a lot like Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> Damn you, sir. <laughs> Damn you, sir. He's a man with the most touch, sir. <laughs> Goldfinger, sir. Anyway, Hugh's ruining on Vogue's uh, Don't Let Go. I tell you what, I, I also um, I also very fond of that song. I think it was um, when I first went to university and we had MTV. Um, oh, yeah. The luxury there was, and it was on all the time. So that, maybe that was a connection to set it off, too, is that um, maybe I saw it in university on MTV or um, on Sky, and that was the first maybe, thing. Yeah, it's a cracking um, song. It was, it, and it was a cracking song. Was it on Vogue? It was on Vogue, on Vogue yeah. Destiny's on Child, Vogue. am I getting them confused? No, it's on Vogue. Was Kelly, uh, Kelly Rolson in on Vogue? No, she was in... Destiny's Child. <laughs> we are so old. <laughs> was that the same as the Sugar Babes? Oh, I don't. I don't even know who's in the Sugar Babes anymore. I think it's a rotating thing. It's like... <laughs> yes, that's true. But I mean, bringing it back to set it off. Yes. I think, I think that it, it... it. I mean, dare I call... Dare I call it uh, a kind of like a... a, 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 a it's almost a... a it's like a female-centric gangster masterpiece in many ways. Um, and I, that doesn't mean to say that it's a five-star film, but the, the, I, I, think it, it, I think it is... I think it's quite a, um important film um, okay. for what it is and for for the kind of the impact it, it, it probably had in the mid-90s, actually. Yeah. I think that's interesting to make. Again, I was, I was a bit deflated watching it Partly because I probably was more emotionally involved in watching it this time because I, I really yeah. felt for the characters, and it, it I, the uh, the errors in its plot were more laid bare to me. Um, yeah. Uh, which I was more ways to. Uh, however, the the performances, if anything, were better than I remembered and stronger, um, and the characters also were struggling. The full female protagonists were a lot more moving than I remember them to be. So, yeah, notwithstanding its its issues, um, and I think it, it does again suffer whether it is you know whether it is you know a gangster thing like point break where it's all exciting and, and adrenaline whether it's more like you know waiting to exhale where it's about the four friends whether it's like pretty woman where but that felt very tacked on that felt like a studio note the whole keith rest uh, yeah, it's like yeah. give 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 stoney something to do because you could lift that out and you've lost nothing in the film although i don't think stoney has as strong a, you know she doesn't have a strong uh, character arc though without without that. I know, it, mainly because it's it's got nothing to do with keith weston it's all to it's do. It's all with about Stone. Keith Weston. <laughs> That's <laughs> the name of the sequel. But uh, set it off too. It's all about Keith Weston. <laughs> Keith Weston set it off. <laughs> it, it, but without without that kind of little side plot, you don't get to know about no, Stony. That's true. That's true. Um, we we learn that she's very tolerant of imbeciles. <laughs> yeah, very much so. A bit like you, Hugh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are the Keith Weston to my Stony. 
<laughs> Indeed, although there will be no massage oil involved. I don't know, you've already played me on Vogue, James. It took you a long time to fire up that song. You went to a lot of trouble to get it. The one character we haven't mentioned in terms of having an arc is Detective Strode. Oh, that's um, true, yes. Who does have an arc. He, he starts he off very aggressive and suspicious. And in the end, he is almost a broken man in terms of, of, of what he realises the women have been through and his role in it. Um, but I think the, the uh, two things that Firstly, John C. McGinley, I've mainly seen as a character actor or a comedic actor. Even you know, mm. before, even this when he was in things like Platoon, he was, mm. he was a comedically... Yes. Irritating person in platoon. He wasn't, you know, straight down the line one. And, and throughout this, he plays very well, you know, extreme annoying characters. Um, I think I think he's often highly strung. Yeah, I, I think he's a brilliant actor as, in terms yeah, of I character. Like, I, I, I'm never bored watching him in films. But to have him in what again you'd assume was a serious film mm. is strange because he's almost playing a very stereotyped cop <laughs> who's who's yeah. chasing them down. Um, well, I he, think I think at the, to, at the start of the film, he's actually quite comedic. Yeah. Uh, it's, he's almost inept he's, he's in almost got how a toothpick in aggressively his compromising he is. Yeah. But he's, got, he's got a toothpick in his mouth, so he's got all the props. He's doing yeah. all the, 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 the cop things. And yeah, by yeah. the end of it, he is trying to talk them down out of more violence because he's, you know, he's saying, no more killing, your brother was enough, let's end this, we've got to end this, please let's end this. Yeah. Um, so for one thing, he has a, you know, he's a definite arc. But mm. I would also say, in terms of you know what this film is really about, should he really have one? Do you know? Do, does this mm. does does this film need to have a middle-aged well, white guy have an arc? One? Yeah, he's yeah. a middle-aged white guy. Yeah. Should he? Should he have, does he yeah. Does he deserve the arc? Um, because I suppose what 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 it does actually is it. And again, I think this is about playing to the the gallery really. Yeah. The, it, what it 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 gives it gives what? Let me start that again. It gives who the um, the wider cinema-going audience who wouldn't necessarily go to a film about four black women in um, poverty-stricken L.A., yeah. a get-out clause. Yeah. It gives them an excuse because the, the, the detective Gary has a narrative arc when actually the institution that he represents in real life wouldn't enable any one of those four black women to achieve yeah, yeah. I don't think. And so it's a little bit of a cop out, but again, I think that's a, a, a hand toward populism. Yeah, yeah. That's fair, yeah. And, um... So you are, I don't think he deserves it, but I think if anyone deserves it, it's John C. McGinley, who you can't fail to enjoy watching. Yes, yeah. You know? yeah and that, again, that's another thing. There's so much in Set It Off that is. Um, that I that I don't particularly want to like. The contrivances, the, 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 the cliches, the stereotypes. But all of it together, I found myself, I felt, uh, t- I mean, uh, toward the end of the film, I found myself totally engaged, totally enraptured by it. Yeah. And I wasn't expecting that, I'm honest. Yeah. So um, one of the other, um, one of the other contrivances that we have in Weekend at Crumbs is to think about other films that you might want to watch yeah. um, to complement set it off. And uh, Hugh, have you, have you, have you any film recommendations to make? Well, again, this this was um, I probably just rattled just through them all. It's 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 more a case of which bit of set it off did you like? If you if you like again, if you like the the you know relationship based um, dramas again, waiting to exhale. I think it was a few years mm. earlier. That would seem an obvious obvious one to go to. That's about you know four women who are not robbing banks, but you know have mm. have the problems of their lives to discuss. And it's about that very kind of familial bonds. Um, if you want. A, you know, a heist move where people jump on top of tellers and, and wave guns in disguises. Then you know, you go for Point Break, um, mm-hmm. Dead Presidents maybe. 
Yeah, I um, think, yeah. So I would have said dead, pres dead yeah. presidents as well. And if you're looking for that kind of redemption of a, a very well turned out gentleman buying pretty dresses for someone, <laughs> uh, then you, it's Pretty Woman's, you bet. So it's. it's yeah, yeah. I or think... the Bill Cosby story. <laughs> <laughs> so may maybe it, it was successful because it threw everything at the, at the wall and you pick what you like from it. Um, yeah. And um, and maybe it's it falls down now 20 years on because it does it because it has to it was fitting all those things but perhaps if they just picked one direction it wouldn't have been as strong um no that's a fair point I'm, yeah i'm thinking you, you're, you're right as as, uh, as ridiculous as the keith western subplot is it makes stony a more a more rounded character that you're much yeah. sadder by her, her troubles um as as contrived as the, as the heist scenes are they you know they they get the the adrenaline pumping at the right time and and yeah. you know the, the deaths of the, the characters yeah. is is certainly not undercut i wanted to mention a film which i immediately thought of um when not even when i watched the film when i when i kind of um uh, like saw the poster of it effectively because i'd heard of set it off before i just yeah. not seen it and the, the film is it's a very recent film it's directed by steve mcqueen not okay. the dead um uh, Hollywood actor, obviously, but the uh, the British uh, black British actor whose previous films were uh, Twelve Years a Slave and Shame and Hunger, and it's called Widows. Okay. Um, and it's uh, I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, oh. If you like heist films, Hugh, I do. Check out Widows. It Widows. is absolutely brilliant. Okay. It's um, about four women: um, Viola Davis, oh. um, Michelle Rodriguez. Um, uh, and two other uh, actresses whose names escape <laughs> me at the moment, um, whose husbands are armed robbers, okay. one of whom is played by uh, Weekend at Crombie's favourite, Liam Neeson, um, who uh, participate in a failed armed robbery, and they are all killed. Okay. And the women have to, for economic reasons, um, come together and rob banks. Oh. And... It is a very, it, is, it has a very different tone to set it off, I should add. Yeah. Uh, the four actresses are not all black women. Viola Davis is, obviously, but the others are, are, are of different kind of ethnicities. But they all come from, um, they all come from different backgrounds as well. So Viola Davis's character is uh, a wealthy black woman who's politically savvy. Uh, some of the other characters are from more down, downtrodden backgrounds, etc. It is a film which is very political. It's a film which is, it reminded me a lot of um, some of the seasons of The Wire in that it's a much, it's much more about city politics. It's much more about um, the kind of the, the impact of drugs and politics on residents. But it is an absolutely sensational film. Easily, easily the best film I've seen this year. Wow. Um, and I, I would heartily recommend it. It's actually an adaptation of a Linda LaPlante novel, which was in the 80s in the series, um, but has been transplanted to Chicago, um, and is it's it's brilliant. I'm actually amazed that it didn't it didn't get awards and stuff. It was pretty much forgotten, but I think it's a brilliant film. Wow. Okay. We so noted. Yeah. I remember hey, Linda LaPlante. If you like heist movies, yeah. you will love this film. Okay. I've so noted. I will try and obtain Widows to watch. Thank you. Okay. Uh, yeah, so Widows is, is the one I was thinking. The other one was Dead Presidents, which I think has a lot of kind of thematic similarities yeah. um, to it as well. Very well. So is there anything else that we should be talking about set it off? I, I feel like we, we ought to give Keith Weston another go, but <laughs> maybe, maybe our listeners are fed up with Keith. Oh, I mean, that's the thing. Like John C. McGinley went through the entire range of emotions 
And Keith Weston ended the film with basically saying, I've got something new to tell Nigel at the club now. <laughs> when we play <laughs> yeah. squash on a Friday, you'll never guess who my girlfriend was. <laughs> he seems so unmoved by that. He's not, he's not running, you know, like in any normal film, Keith Weston would be in a car racing to the scene to leap in front of the bullet in front to save Stoney or well, something. He's got his career to think of. Absolutely. And you wouldn't want to spoil that nice new suit. He's literally just sitting in the restaurant thinking, he's a bit late. <laughs> and then days later, he gets a phone call from Mexico and he goes, I'm glad you're okay, Stoney. Thank you. Thank you. Stoney who? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Stoney. Yes, I remember you. Oh, it's she of the colourful outfits. <laughs> um, so I, I think we've exhausted Set It Off. Um, yeah, we have. The, so, dear listener, um, make yourself a cup of tea. You could actually have a sleep, go on holiday and come back to the podcast at your leisure, given that time is of no uh, consequence in podca- podcast land. Um, but when you do return, um, we'll be given the scores on the doors and the uh, film of... Uh, my choice for the October uh, edition. Join so please don't, don't go anywhere or go everywhere, but come back. <laughs> Welcome back, dear listener, um, right. where we will be giving the scores for Set It Off. As usual, the rules are the, uh, the selector goes first and gives it a score out of five floating crumbly heads half measures are not allowed yes hugh hugh t- tell us tell us what your score for set it off is i think the almost again it was yeah, i get the impression you don't know yes yeah I, you're, you're right <laughs> yeah because yeah. i left the film not feeling good and it didn't not not because it was a bad film. It wasn't a, a dance from the dark kind of not feeling good. And it wasn't a, because I'd felt um, it hadn't engaged with me. It almost it had engaged with me, and it made made me feel very sad. And I'm not sure, um, which, but not almost sad in the in the almost the correct way a film should do. I just felt bad for the characters. Um, so it left me. I suppose that says something about the characters, doesn't it? That says yeah. something about the writing and the way it's filmed. Yeah. So. Um, I mean, again, as someone who, who, who nitpicks plots and, and contrivances, there's a lot to nitpick in there. But but the strength of the characters and the actors, and I guess almost the audacity of just doing it in the first place, for all its setbacks and all its Keith Westerns, um, it's, <laughs> it's it's it's. I think it's got to be three floating crombie heads. It's it's mm. three for me. Okay, so three disembodied crombie heads from from you. I, I so th- this film for me, it, this could be a two disembodied crombie head film this could be a three disembodied crombie head film or it could be a four disembodied crombie head film i think that depending on your mood the point at which you enter the film what you what you are taking from it at any particular time the fact that it throws an awful lot at the screen some of which sticks and some of which doesn't means that it 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 has its problems it has its fundamental flaws structurally and um, with you know some ridiculous longers with uh, characters whose names will remain nameless, um, uh, but 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 despite that, despite all of that, I, you know when it's good, I think it's exceptionally good, um, and I think of its type, it's it's one of the best. Um, heist movies i can remember watching for a long time um which i know sounds ridiculous but there you go it's it's for me to own the movie in the way that i i see fit and because of that i'm going to give it four disembodied crombie heads wow 
I very much enjoyed it. I love the fact that the four protagonists had equal screen time. They all had their character arcs. Look, okay, it's not it's not an intellectual powerhouse of a film. It's not a head scratcher. It's not it's not a uh, um, you know it's it's not gonna it's not earth shattering. But as a piece of popcorn, as as entertainment, it's like one of those films that you'd you know I'd settle down to watch that again and again and again probably, and not even realizing that I'm watching it. So it's got to be a four disembodied crombie head for me. Wow, I think is that a record of the first time you've scored a film higher than I have? Like, <laughs> is it? Once no. or no, once or twice. I think you scored. Oh, one of your films. You one made. of my films. One of my choices yeah. has actually pleased you. <laughs> no, yeah. I, well, you know, I think Condor Man was a surprise. That's true. Although yes. it was only a three-star film, that, I, yeah. I, you know, that ostensibly isn't a good film, but, but like, it's still a three-star film. Like a humble pussycat, I, think, I, I, let, I, I bring you these dead birds in from the garden and lay them at your feet. And uh, <laughs> I think Set It Off is a good film. Yeah. Um, I just think it also contains a lot of contrivances, but yeah. that's the genre. Yeah. Right? It's like it's like horror. I love horror films. There's a lot of terrible horror films out there, yeah. but that's the genre. Yeah. So, with the expectation that it will not be a horror film, what are we going to watch next month? <laughs> So it's the Halloween edition. Why have I given you October? That's terrible. <laughs> um, well, it, it seems a little bit unfair because every single year I have October and December. We could, we um, could switch. Well, I, yeah, I pick, do I pick Christmas films in January? <laughs> well, maybe we'll discuss this off, off mic. Maybe we'll, um, maybe we'll discuss this in our, in our yearly review, which uh, is ironically the most listened to part of our entire oeuvre. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's nothing stopping you choosing Christmas films in January, though. I mean, you know, it's not like you, it's not like who would do that. Anyway, um, my I've I've, um, I've I've been debating two films, and uh, at the point of which we started this podcast, I still hadn't decided on one or the other. You'll be pleased to know that neither of them are horror films, actually. Okay. Um, the the one the film I'm going to go for, um, and it's it's kind of it links with set it off a little bit um it, in, in that I, I feel that it, it probably is uh, kind of like a, a a projection of the society that set it off is set in as it were but anyway we'll discuss this when we talk about the film the film for october is going to be bamboozled spike lee's bamboozled i see do you know what? For a brief moment there, I thought you'd said bedazzled, which was the, oh, really? <laughs> which is like that Elizabeth Hurley remake yeah. of a buddy, uh, buddy uh, Hackett comedy or something like that. Uh, yeah, I'm so glad it's remake, not that. Yeah, remake of Dudley Moore and Peter Cook film, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm glad it's not that. I'm, I oh. I know nothing about it other than I know the director Spike Lee. I shall look forward to bamboozled. Bamboozled. Uh, hopefully, we won't be bamboozled when we next uh, do the podcast. Segway. <laughs> Yeah, well, is that a segue? Just use the same word. That's a segue. That's what the professionals it's do, the James. the worst segue ever. <laughs> but speaking, then, of the, you know, speaking of the worst segue ever, that leads us to the next section. <laughs> yes. What, and what's the next section? I was, segue, I was segueing into it badly. So that was the worst segue ever, you see. That was so bad, I didn't even realise. I know. But, uh, <laughs> but now I've explained the joke, it's funnier. <laughs> And dear listener, with that, <laughs> with that, that level of conversation that you come to expect, um, we, we, we will have to bid you adieu. Uh, we wish you a very merry, do I wish you a merry? Wow, we've gone off the track. level of conversation also. <laughs> I wish you, I don't wish you anything. I hope you enjoy your, um, God, this is going on the editing suite. <laughs> Um, you know what? You've been Keith Weston. I've been Keith Weston. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope you all enjoy your weekend at Crombies. Good evening all. Weekend.
I've also had some yogurt with some spiced honey. You've been eating mid mid podcast. I hear no chewing. Well, it's honey, isn't it? You don't chew honey or yogurt. <laughs> what yogurt are you eating? <laughs> it's hard yogurt. That's cheese, isn't it? <laughs> why i chose yogurt and not crisps or lobster (laughs) what were you expecting to hear (laughs) oh i've spilled yogurt everywhere (laughs) 